Let's get into the word this morning. Um, if you got your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter seven. We are at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And we have been in a series called Anything But Average. And we've been leaning into these teachings that Jesus did in his greatest, longest sermon, the greatest sermon in the history of time um, until today. No, I'm teasing. I just was seeing if you're awake. Nobody was checking with me on that at all. <laughs> the greatest sermon in the history of time. And uh, it's so great that it's two chapters long, five, six, seven, three chapters long. Um, I didn't major in math. And, uh, and Jesus is teaching. It takes up all of that space. And for hours, people have listened to Jesus' teaching. And he lands the plane on his teaching on these principles that we've been walking through for the last several weeks. He lands the plane on some things that believers, followers of Jesus, who are anything but average, who are exceptional, who do above average, they model these behaviors and they think this way. And one of the things he lands on is he says, hey, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but that's average. I'm telling you, Turn the other cheek. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago and we unpackaged, oh, I forgot, middle schoolers, you're dismissed. If you didn't leave already, you probably left already. See, no one waved a middle school flag at me. It looks like you guys left already. All right, middle schoolers, you're out. Um, but we talked about how what was really going on in that culture and in that time and in that window is Jesus is communicating. We're the people, the follower of Jesus. We're the people who don't get offended and don't take the bait and don't walk into the tension. We rise above that. And we talked about what a strategic time in history for us to remember that the followers of Jesus are not the easily offended. We don't take the bait. We don't get into Twitter battles and Facebook wars and, and we don't get into arguments of, of because of an insult that we felt. We rise above that for the sake of relationship and we love through conflict. He said, hey, anything but average, you wanna be more than what you've been. You're the folks that go the extra mile. We're the folks that we don't just run up to the line of what's expected of us. You know what's expected of you and you do the bare minimum to get pie. He goes, that's average. Don't do that. We're the go the extra mile people. He says, hey, you're the shirt off your back people. You're the folks that say, hey, I recognize that there's a measure of what's going on here that you're trying to exploit me, but you can't exploit me because my generosity extends beyond your exploitation. You can't do that. You have no ability to exploit me. He says, that's who we are. You see, he said, anything but average people exceed expectations. We exceed expectations. He says, that's the kind of people that you're gonna become because of this teaching, because of what I'm accomplishing. That's the kind of people you become. Then last week, we talked about this tension between living for now and living for later. And he said, listen, don't store up your treasures here on earth. That's where the moth comes in and, just, and, the, and rust destroys. He goes, don't do that. That's a, that's a bad investment of your time, of your treasures, of your talent. He says, you store up your treasure in a place where there's eternal consequences and benefits to that. You invest your time, talent, and treasures in a way that you can bring that with you into heaven. And we talked about investing our resources into people and not being stuck. And then he says something that's really profound. He says, you can't serve two masters. What he doesn't say is you can't serve both God and Satan. See, that would make sense. That's the other end of the spectrum in my mind. He doesn't say that. That's true, but that's not the pressure point that he leans into. Because he doesn't think that we're going to have this temptation to just embrace wickedness and evilness. 
He says, that's not what's going to fight for your heart. Your heart's not going to be, should I be a good person or should I be a murderer? That's not what's going to go into your heart. That's not the battle that's going to get waged in your heart. He says, you can't serve both God and mammon. And mammon represented wealth and greed and money and treasure here on earth. He's saying, that's the thing that's going to fight for your heart. He says, you can't give everything you've got to God and have a greedy heart. That's going to be a war for you. That's going to be a tension for you. And if you're going to live for the later, you're going to have to decide who you're living for now. What a tension that he walks us into. So we walked through that last week. And then this week, he wraps up this sermon, this message, and he begins to lean into these things that we know about anything but average people. He says, hey, anything but average people, they know, they know exactly what to do. They know exactly what to do. Average people know what to do. That's hilarious. Because you would say, don't do that. But average people know what to do. And this is a tension because we know what to do. Here's what I realize. Most people know what to do. Information has never been as accessible as it is today. I can ask Siri just about anything. I can ask her math questions and she nails it. How many kilometers in a three mile race? Why would I need to know that? I don't know, but Siri knows. If you ask me, I can find out in like 10 seconds. Information is easy to get. As a matter of fact, I would wager almost anybody in the room, I can ask you some pretty important questions for my life and you can answer with good information. If I said, hey, I wanna live longer. I wanna have better health. I bet almost anybody in the room could answer me and give me some suggestions you could say, hey, cut the sugar. Get off your can and go exercise a couple times, right? Get some healthy nutrition, eat a vegetable. We could all like, you could lean into that. No matter what your personal history is, you know that information. If I were to say, hey, help me with my marriage, most of you within a couple of moments would go, just tell your wife you're white, you're, she's right and say you're sorry. Your marriage will go fine. Some good advice, fellas, write that down, right? Just tell her she's right and say you're sorry. You'll be fine. Most of you could give, I'm t I jest, but you could give some advice. You could talk about how to lift each other up, what, what mutual sacrifice looks like, how to serve one another to bring the best, how to ask the good questions, like what can I do to help, how to be present. Most of you know that information. You have it in there. I could ask you for some tips on raising my kids. Some of you like to give tips to people about raising their kids, whether they're solicited or not, <laughs> right? But you could give advice. You have the data. You have the information. This tension that Jesus walks us into is you have been in the room and heard the information. You have access to the information, but has it translated into new behaviors in your life? I was thinking about this when, uh, when I was an intern coming out of college. I hadn't finished college yet. I was, I was doing an event. I may have talked about this event before, but I was doing a, a, a Halloween event. And someone came up to me from the team. It was for kids. 
Now, I don't do kids things well. That's not my skill set, not my gifting. When I was 17, um, I got volunteered on a Sunday morning to go help the kids. And I thought, oh, he's the cool 17-year-old boy. So let's give him all the hardest kids because they'll respect him. And I came out of there like in tears. I was like, I cannot win this battle. I don't know how. I'm good with teenagers because I know how far I can lean on their feelings until they break, right? And so I can like push them, hurt their feelings just enough, but not so much, right? That's, the, that's like the trick with teenagers, right? You just play into that zone. Uh, but with kids, I have no clue. I don't know what to do with them, even my own. I'm like, please help me. But <laughs> I'm getting better. But, but that was kind of my thing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm interning. And they invite me and they said, hey, we're doing this event for kids. All we want to know is, is, can you talk about Jesus? I was like, talk about Jesus? Psh, that's what I do, right? I'm not going to say I don't talk about Jesus. How could you say no if someone said, hey, can you talk about Jesus? And I'm coming through Bible college. I'm interning at a church. I'm like, sure, I'll talk about Jesus. So we get to the night of the event. And no one's really talked to me about the event since then, but I'm there early because I'm the intern. So I'm setting up and there's like carnival games and the kids play the games, they get candy. That's kind of the point of the, the event or whatever, right? And so it has a start time and the, the gal who's running it, she goes, okay, so here's what's gonna happen tonight. Before we start the carnival, we're gonna bring all the kids in and all the families in. And then you're gonna come up and you're gonna tell them about Jesus. Then you're gonna give them a chance to respond and receive Jesus. And then they can go play in the carnival. And I was like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> time, time out, time out. Can you, can you run that by me again? Because I was just prepared by not being prepared to just talk about Jesus. Because I can always talk about Jesus, right? And so now I'm feeling this pressure of, oh my goodness. I know what I believe. And I'm like, I can walk like, how do you take little kids that are in their costumes and, and say, okay, time out. I know you're surrounded by everything like Willy Wonka awesomeness, but now I want you to pay attention to me as I talk about Jesus. And I don't know how to talk to kids anyways. So here was my plan. This is horrible. This is all I had. Here was my plan. My plan was, here's what I'm going to do. Since you kind of bait and switched me, I didn't know what I was getting into. I'm just going to bait and switch this whole thing. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to say, all right, kids, listen up. Who's ready for some candy? And then before I finished the word candy, I was going to say, and raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus. <laughs> I was like, I will nail it. The whole room will respond. Everyone will think I'm awesome. That'll be my move. Like that, I'm literally walking around the church going, that's the best thing I can think of. I have no plan. I have no plan. I have no plan. I'm going to walk in there. My internship's over. My ministry days are over. I like, this is the end. I'm going to go down in a blaze of glory. This is going to be what I'm remembered for. This is my moment. And I'll just be honest with you. I walked up on stage and I couldn't bring myself to do it. I, I just couldn't. And then I don't even know the words, you know, the scripture's true where God just gives you what you need. I don't even know what I said. I just told him about how awesome God is, that he loved him. Uh, I, and then I literally, with my eyes closed, I was like, if there's anybody in here who wants to just respond, I didn't pay any attention. Then I just walked away in shame. I was like, I couldn't even enjoy the carnival anymore. I was like, this place is all, I'm done. You know, I left. And then afterwards, when we're tearing down, because I'm an intern, so I got to stay till the end and clean up. And uh, so I'm staying till the end and cleaning up. And the, the debrief meeting, they're like, Mike, we just want you to know that was one of the best presentations of the gospel. And I'm like, I don't even know what I said. And they said, I can't remember if it was 13 or 18 kids gave their heart to the Lord and responded in that moment. And here's the thing. Here's what I want to push onto that. I had plenty of head knowledge about what I believed. And I was confident in my own head that I knew how to talk about Jesus, but I had never done it. I knew I was assigned to do it. I knew it was part of this Christian experience to be able to explain what I believe, but I had never done it. 
And until I did it, I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. You see, it's incredibly average. Average people, again, they know what to do. But anything but average people, they do what they know. Anything but average people, come on now. They do what they know. That's awesome. So Jesus walks into this, he walks into this closing moments of the message. And he starts, I'm in Matthew chapter seven. I'm gonna back up a little bit, verse 13. And he talks about different kinds of people. He talks about good trees, bad trees, fruit. Um, he did, comes through the Lord's prayer. But in Matthew chapter seven, verse 13, he says, hey, there's two kinds of people who are in the audience. There's thousands of people listening. He breaks it down to two kinds. He says, hey, you wanna be the kind that enter through the narrow gate. Matthew 7, verse 13. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many people enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. Now, this is pretty powerful. He's just laid out all of his teaching. He's just had his biggest campaign speech for Team Jesus. And he's talking to the crowds. And he goes, you gotta be aware, you're gonna fall into one of two categories. You're gonna take the easy road and it's wide and there's gonna be lots of your friends there. Lots of folks going that way. Or you're gonna take the more difficult road and it's narrow. It's gonna require some work. It's gonna require some steps from you. He goes, that wide road, everyone's gonna be there. I'm like, yeah, come on down with us. This is the easy road. We like this road, this road works. He goes, but some of you here, you're gonna go down that harder road. So there's two kinds of people here. He says, living this out is gonna have to look a little different than the average. So fast forward a little bit, Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. There's two kinds of people he's talking about. Here's what I love. Jesus is okay with this tension of forcing people to acknowledge that there is a difference based on what you believe and what you do. That there's something that has to get activated. He's okay with this tension of saying some are like this and some are like that. See, we always wanna just lump everyone together. Jesus was okay with that tension saying, hey, some of you are listening and some of you are doing it. Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. I love this. He goes, hey, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and blank is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hey, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Does he say, learns them. Jesus says, hey, if you hear these words of mine and you learn them, you're like a wise man who built your house on the rock. That's not what he says, huh? Here's the thing. We love learning things. Come on, church folks. We love new Bible studies. We want the latest thing that comes out. We want the deeper study. Oh, I like that pastor. He preaches deep. I learned so much more from him. I've listened to that podcast. I listen to this, whatever it is. I love Beth, whoever. I love them. They just, they give me the deep stuff, right? They give me the deep stuff. And we've elevated, I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying we've elevated, like that is the highest level of achievement that we've learned more about God. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say who hears these words of mine and learns them. What he actually says is who learns these words of mine and writes them down. That's what he says, right? Because where's my note takers at? I love my note takers. I'm not punking my note takers. I've been saying for years that note takers are history makers. You wanna change the world. You write down what God speaks. You remember it. You use that. It feeds your soul. You should be a note taker. But he doesn't say that the goal 
is to get close to Jesus, hear the words of Jesus, and make sure you write them down. That's not the goal. Actually, what he says is go ahead and uh, Facebook them. (laughs) The real goal, so that we all know that you're a follower of Jesus, is to get a hold of a nugget, of a kernel from Jesus, and then make sure you tag all your friends so that they also can get that kernel, right? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that's not the goal of following Jesus. That's not what he's trying to get us to do. What he really wants us to do is go deeper than that and blog them. Because now you've taken the kernel that Jesus got and you've added your own spin into that. So now it's really spiritual. Now we know you've learned it. We know you wrote it down. We know you were willing to post it online and you processed it. You have completed the trifecta. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But again, that's not what he said. What did he say? He said, anyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Oh, we gotta try it again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice. Jesus said, hey, there's a wide road and there's a narrow road. He's beginning to craft as he, as he unpackages the end of his message, as he's ramping up to his close, as he's ramping up to, to get everyone to get the big takeaway. He said, there's an easy path. And a lot of people are gonna go that way. They're gonna consume this information. They're gonna get it into their minds. They're gonna be so excited at how great the service was that they're gonna write down on their calendar the next time Jesus is in town and speaking at the Mount again. They're gonna make sure that they book an event for that time so they can be there and hear him again. That's not what he says. He says, that's a wide road thinking that the goal is to just hear it. The goal is to just learn it. The goal is to process it and regurgitate it again. No, 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 no. He says the goal is you've heard. I mean, he's been preaching for three chapters now. And he says, some of you are gonna get in a narrow road. He said, and a wise person hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. You feel the tension of that? And you feel the room that he's talking to, the crowd's starting to go, wait, what, wait, what? What did he just say there? You want me to do something? man, pastor, that's hard. Stop asking me to do stuff. I showed up. I'm here. He's like, no, no, no. That's still a narrow road. You got to put those things into practice. Let's read the whole passage. Therefore, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, and then I love this because he's okay with saying there's two groups. There's good trees, good fruit, bad trees, bad fruit. There's a wide road, there's a narrow road. There's a wise person, there's a foolish person. He goes, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, what? Put them into practice. He's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Some versions say, and it fell and how great was the crash? Devastating, devastating effects, devastating effects. Let's unpackage a few things here. First, he says, there's a thing and it's wisdom and it's a thing. It exists. 
Biblically, wisdom is knowing how to act on what you believe. It's knowing not just what you believe, but it's knowing how to act on what you believe. Wisdom requires action. I, I like this definition, knowing the desired end result and acting accordingly. Wisdom begins with the end in mind. It says, I wanna end in this place. I want my house to be on a foundation of rock. I want my life to be on a firm foundation. That's the end result I want. Wisdom is, what do I have to then do so that I can experience that? Knowledge is just knowing I want that. And there's things you can do. Wisdom is acting those things and structuring your life. He goes, there's a wise person and he exists. He's in the room. He's in the, the, the range of his voice. And he says, and that person, even though there's a wide road, he recognizes that that leads to death, but there's a narrow road and it leads to life. And he's wise. So he goes that path, even though there's more struggle. Then he breaks it down. And I was a little challenged by this this week. I had to do a little research. I was like, Jesus drops the foolish bomb kind of a lot. I was like, I get this impression that I shouldn't call someone a fool. It'd be nice to have that in my repertoire, <laughs> to just be able to drop that whenever you get out of line. You fool, pity the fool, <laughs> right? I wanna be able to use that. That's good material. So Jesus drops this word, he drops this word fool. He's like a foolish. And the Greek word there, it comes from the word moros, where we get the word moron. He says, hey, that guy that hears my words and doesn't put them into practice, you're in the range of my voice. Don't be moros. Don't be moros. Now, I had to look it up because I was like, all right. So this is from the Strong's, okay? The Strong's Concordance. I didn't make this up. I didn't pick these words. It says, dull or stupid heedless, and then my favorite one, blockhead. <laughs> blockhead. So I want you, every time you get in the scriptures and you see foolish or fool, think Charlie Brown. <laughs> Jesus is like, the person who hears all of this teaching but doesn't do it, it doesn't change the behaviors of your life, blockhead. Blockhead move. If you don't take anything else away, don't be a blockhead. <laughs> I love it. I'm bringing Blockhead back. It's coming back. So I got to process this because <laughs> there it is. Bring Blockhead back. I love it. I'm bringing Blockhead back. <laughs> oh my goodness. We're having too much fun. What's crazy is in this sermon, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus has already used this word once. So we know this is part of his vernacular. In verse 22, Jesus says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which means unwanted, unknowable, unimportant, unvaluable, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, which means he should be able to take you to court. And anyone who says, blockhead, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus just said, if you call your brother a blockhead, you're in danger of the fire of hell. And then he wraps up the sermon by saying, if you hear these words of mine and don't do it, you're like a blockhead. What's going on here, Jesus? I'm trying to experience this tension, right? What are you saying? So I had to get in a little bit. And without walking all the way through the, uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, someday we will, there's a tension here of what he's talking about. And the difference is in verse 22 at the beginning where it says, in anger, 
when Jesus says, hey, when you get into a human being's life in anger and you tell them they're not valuable and you tell them they're worthless, they should be able to take you to court for that. But if you tell them that they're a blockhead, if you tell them that they're a fool, if you get in anger and you begin to lessen the value of that human being, you are now in danger of the fire of hell. We're not the people who do that. That's not the thing we do. Then as he wraps it up, he says, but if someone has heard the truth and they're not activating that in their lives, they're behaving like a blockhead, we should let them know and protect them. You see the difference? The anger of assaulting someone that I'm frustrated with and the, the, the imperative to warn them and protect their life. That's the distinction that he makes there. I hope that was clear because it was hard for me to get there. But he's like, we can point out blockheaded behavior to save someone's life, but we never get to get into someone's face and say, you're a blockhead. <laughs> That's the difference. Here's the picture. Jesus is saying, some of you here are wide road folks. <laughs> Don't be a blockhead. That should, that's the thing you can tweet. <laughs> He's saying there's wide road folks. And you may not even notice that you're being a blockhead, but I'm telling you how to live differently, how to be anything but average. And you're hearing the information and going, yeah, that's great, but you're not actually interested in doing anything with it. And that's a blockhead move. Don't do that. I'm trying to help you. It says your life Matters, you need to care more than that. Here's, that's the first thing. There's, there's wise people and there's foolish people. Here's the second thing I want you to catch. Both folks face the storm. Everybody faces the storm. You face the storm, I face the storm. The rain comes, the wind blows, and all of the pressure of the storm happens for each of us. Here's the thing I wish he said. Convincing people to go on a journey following Jesus would be so much easier if this is the thing he said. I wish Deep in my gut, I wish he had said, if you go on the narrow road, if you hear my commands and do them, you will avoid the storms of life. Oh, I wish he had said that. You will not experience the storms of life. You will be able to avoid the pain of living in this broken world. None of those things that are tragic will happen to you or your circle of friends. That would be amazing. That's not what he said. As a matter of fact, that's so far from what he said. That's so far from the story of what's in this book. And if anyone, because people are still trying to sell that hope today, anyone tries to sell you some kind of hope that says, if you do this, believe this, give to this, whatever it is, that you will not experience the storms of life. And they're trying to sell you something that just isn't in this book. We all face the storms. We all face the storms. One more time, we all face the storms. Matter of fact, in the same sermon, Matthew chapter five, verse 45, maybe an hour before, because Jesus could preach. He had just said, verse 45, that he, he's finishing a thought that you may be sons of your father in heaven. And then he goes, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, hey, the world is how it is. And we all experience the nature of this broken world. The storms do not discriminate when it comes to pain, when it comes to suffering, when it comes to storms. There's no discrimination. We all face them. 
Here's the thing. The result of the storm is not predetermined. The result of the storm is not predetermined. Your foundation will determine how you weather the storm. Your foundation will determine how you weather the storm. I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate this, so here's what I got, best I could do. I'm youth pastoring. I'm up in Everett, Washington. We are headed down to Oregon in order uh, to go to a youth event uh, called Focus, um, where we bring kids to the Bible college, and hopefully, you know, they go and do that. And it's awesome. That's how I got there. And we're driving in a rented van because we didn't have a good van, and we merged with another group. It was back when they would let a youth pastor rent a 15-passenger van and fill it with kids, even though we didn't know any experience in driving 15-passenger vans or driving 14 kids around. And so we jump into this 15-passenger van, and we're actually towing a little trailer that has all our luggage in it. And uh, so I'm not driving at this point. I'm in the front bench. Uh, I'm like, so the other guy's driving, and I'm responsible for controlling the chaos behind him, right? So we're cruising down I-5 South, and we have to stop relatively short. Uh, Traffic has happened. I don't know what's going on. But it's enough time that we can stop. However, the guy to our right doesn't notice, And I hear one of the kids go, oh, accident. So I turn my head and this guy, he's driving a big Dodge Ram. He goes and he goes before he slams on his brake. He sees he's gonna stop short. Instead of slamming on his brakes, he just grabs his wheel and he does this. Yeah, you're telling me. And his car just goes, boom, and just hits us right on the side. And the truck actually hits the side of our van and bounces up. And then it comes back down on like the wheel well of the trailer that we're, we're towing and then just flips the trailer. It's crazy. It's all over the street. It's just insane. And so everybody was basically okay. I mean, we had to take kids to the hospital and get everybody checked out or whatever. And so we all experienced that storm. That's the point. Here's the thing. I'm sitting in the front row, person to my left and person to my right. And they're young athletes. I'm in a row of athletes, right? I've been married for a few years now. I'm not, no one would say he's an athlete at this point, right? Not the same way. And so we get in the accident and they tell us, they're like, you're gonna be sore today, but probably like in two days, you're gonna be really sore or whatever, right? And they weren't lying. By like day two, day three, I was like this, oh, I hate my life. And then I see these kids and they're just running around, playing, we're at a youth event, right? They're just playing football, playing catch, playing volleyball. I'm like, what in the world? We just experienced the same thing. Oh, they had a different foundation, right? They'd been exercising, working out, playing sports. These kids were football players, they were jocks. That impact, now it was severe. But you see, they experienced the same storm I experienced, but the outcome was different based on their foundation. Let me take a little deeper. May 4th, 2011, my father passes away. Now I get the call. I'm in Oregon. I'm working at the Park and Rec District and I get a call from my mom. Your dad passed away. He's been in rehab for a while. What's ironic is after all this years of addiction, getting sober killed him. His body went through shock in the rehab and had a heart attack and he died. And so I get the call. Hey, can you come home? Your dad passed away. I have a brother. 10 years younger than me. We both experienced the same storm. Right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun comes up, shines on the just and the unjust and the righteous and the unrighteous. We experienced the same storm. We lost our father. We had dramatically and drastically different results to that pain. Why? Why? Because for years, I've been hearing 
I'm trying to do what this says. So when I had hard questions, like Habakkuk, I read that this morning to the worship team. If you haven't read Habakkuk in a long time, go read Habakkuk. If you don't know what I mean when I say Habakkuk, write that down and look for Habakkuk and read the beginning of Habakkuk. It's an amazing story in the Bible, prophetic. And he opens by just saying, Lord, why do you tolerate evil and injustice? You didn't know that that's in the scripture, then that's pretty cool. He just right off the bat is like, God, I don't get why you allow things to happen that shouldn't happen. Why do you do that? And then I love verse two is the best, one of my favorite passages, one of my top five passages in the Bible. And he goes, and why do I have to look at it? What a great thing to say to God. Not just why do you allow it, but why do you allow it to get into my world? Why do I have to look at it? And he goes on for three chapters to write this prophetic story, back and forth conversation with God. And then he lands on this, but you make my feet like the feet of the deer and you take me to high places. And essentially he just reminds, he's reminded by God that God's still in control. And I love it. And he says, I hope we see your justice in the land of the living, but you still got this. See, I, I, had, I had been living that in my life. I had been living that experience. So my foundation was a little bit different. The storm came and it hurt. And I was frustrated. Why take him when he's finally getting healthy? Why take him when he's recovering? Why take him now, Lord? I had all those questions. Still have those questions. It's been great to know that man not that way. But you see, my brother had different foundations. And the result of the choices and decisions of his life spiraled him into the deepest, darkest places you could go. Drug addiction, drug abuse, self-harm. And for years, we just lost my brother. His foundation was just different. And the storm came, and it crumbled the fabric of his life. And he's still in recovering from that today. Praise the Lord, he spared his life, but... You see, we can experience, the storms are not, the storms are indiscriminate. They don't pick favorites. We live in a broken world and we experience the consequences of that. The results are not predetermined. They're based on your foundation. And Jesus says, you get that foundation by hearing and then doing it. And then doing it. Here's the harsh but simple truth. Your follow through determines your foundation. Jesus says your follow through determines your foundation. What you actually do determines your foundation. You know, he's just for two, three chapters now been talking about building a life a certain way. And he's saying, you've heard all this information. You've heard it. The problem is it doesn't do you any good if you have that information and you haven't actually activated it so that you have a foundation because the storm is coming. He says, hey, early on, he's like, blessed are the pure in heart. He's like, do you have a pure heart? And there's people in the crowd and they're like, yeah, we need a pure heart. He says, they'll see God. He goes, you can see God if you have a pure heart. Like, yeah, that's good information. That information does you no good if you don't then evaluate your heart. David writes it this way. You want to get into the hill of the Lord? You got to have clean hands and a pure heart. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Psalm 22, I think. Someone check me. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Yeah, I know that's good information, but I kind of, I'm not ready to forgive. 
I got some things in my heart that I'm holding on to right now. I got some wounds I don't want to give over to the Lord. I can't have a pure heart right now. But that's good information. Thanks for that, Jesus. It's not in the foundation of your life. He says some other wild things. He says, hey, you got to forgive your brother. Wait, what? He goes, listen, if you come to the altar, I'm just paraphrasing things from the, from the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, if you come to the altar and you've got your gift ready, but you haven't gone to your brother and you have odds against him and you haven't gone to him and dealt with that, you gotta set your gift down. You can't even go to the altar yet and you gotta go to your brother and make it right. Wow, that's good information, Jesus. I didn't even think about that. You know what, I'm gonna do that. That is helpful. That is helpful. But you haven't met my brother. So I'm gonna write that down. And later on, if he cleans up his act, if he comes and says he's sorry, if he does the things I want him to do, then, then I'll go ahead and deal with that. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blog about how important that is. All right? He goes, hey, starts talking about sexual purity. He goes, hey, you heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I've, he's like, you've committed adultery already. He's like, wait a second. So you care not just about my actions, but what's going on in my mind? That's crazy new information. I hadn't thought about it that way. My thought life and what I led into my mind, man, that's, that, that's good. But I'm not dealing with that because I need that escapism. I need that. I'm just, someday I'll deal with that. And you see the foundation gets weaker and weaker. And he walks further on. And he gets to some of the things that we've talked about. He goes, hey, oh, even, even other things. He goes, he goes, you gotta be the salt and light of the earth. When other people get around you, what's in you needs to come out of you. And it should be, it should be catchy. And you go, yeah, that's awesome, God, but I don't really like getting into other people's business. I'm kind of personal and I don't wanna put my faith in anybody else's face. And so I, I get that, that that's a cool visual. I love the idea of we're the salt and the light, but, uh, but I, I, you know, someday I'll get there and you don't actually activate it. Then he gets to the things that we're talking about, and he's like, oh, by the way, someone's gonna try to insult you. You're gonna be the, we don't get insulted people. And you go, yeah, yeah, you don't understand it's an election year. So I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna put that, that into my life right now. I'm on full guard ready for the insults. I will actually be the best insulter. <laughs> he goes, yeah, but you're gonna be the go the extra mile people. And you, yeah, I get that. I like the idea. I really like people that go the extra mile, but I'm busy right now. I kind of got a lot going on. And so I'm not gonna go ahead and do that so much, but I like it. He goes, okay, okay. But you're also gonna be the live for the future, not just now. You're gonna have eternal things in mind and how you deal with your life and with your resources and money's not gonna control and dominate your life. And you say, yeah, you don't understand it's Christmas. And so I totally get those principles, but let's talk about them like as a New Year's resolution because I got to get through the end of the year here first. And finally, he's like, you're going to be the people who hear my word and actually do it. And you're like, yeah, no, that's awesome. But my schedule is just rocking right now. And so I'm going to go ahead and be, I hear, but it doesn't happen. And the storm comes and the dam breaks. And you go, well, God, I knew all the stuff. I knew all the stuff. I knew it. I was ready. He's like, but you didn't build it into the foundation of your life. So when the storm came, ever dealt with someone who's gone through a storm and you're just like, what? How are you still standing? 
If I went through what you're going through, I'd be done. And you wonder, what is it about them? And you see the foundation of their life. And they say, well, all I know is I'm just keeping on doing what Jesus says. And somehow their foundation stands. He wraps up the message, Matthew 7, verse 28. And he says, when he finished saying these things, Matthew tells us, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now listen to this. He's been preaching for a couple hours and no one's left. Imagine that, that's a miracle, first miracle. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> and they're amazed. Why are they amazed? He's not giving them completely new information. He's giving it to them in a context that values what God values, people and relationships. And then he's saying, not only do you need to get this information, it actually has to impact the behaviors of your life. And if you hear it and it doesn't impact the behaviors of your life, you're being a blockhead. And they're like, no one talks to us and teaches us like this. What is this? powerful teaching that Jesus is giving. It's because he cares about people and he cares about the condition of our hearts and he cares about the foundation of our lives. And he understands that in this world we'll have many sorrows, but take heart, he says, because I've overcome the world. Your ability to stand in the storms is tied to the activation of your faith and what you know. And he wants that for you. As your pastor, I want that for you. I want that for you. I know you're gonna go through storms. Some of you are in the storm right now. You're like, pastor, you don't understand my storm. I don't. But I understand that the consequence of that storm is tied to the foundation of your life and that there's hope for the foundation of your life. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close here in just a minute. This kind of teaching, it wasn't normal. It was life-changing. It was world-shaking. It was culture-changing. Jesus was so concerned that we change our perspective, that we get God's vantage point, that we see what God sees, not just what we see in the now, but what it affects in the eternal in the later, that we care about relationships, that we understand that the purity and the condition of our heart is, is, is more important even than the outflow of our behavior. So we gotta start there and then it will affect everything else. And then if we actually do those things, it will literally create a foundation for our life that can withstand any storm and he wants it for us so let me ask you some hard questions some honest questions where are you average right now and by average I mean where are you in the I know what to do but I'm not doing it where are you in that right now what things are floating around like that for you right now can I be transparent with you I was transparent with first service so I'll do it again I was unaware of an area I was being a little average and my wife had to call me on it this last week I'd been pretty busy I'm just cranking she walks in and she goes, hey, can I just tell you, your kids have been waiting to play for, with you for two days and you've come home too tired, too spent, too whatever to give them anything. And she's like, and I get it. And you know, I know you need Sports Center and to set your you know, fantasy football lineup. I know you need those things for your life to be balanced, but your kids need you to just go play with them. Just being home isn't enough. You need to go be with them. Now I'm gonna tell you, at first I wanted to be like, defend but she was like, if done right, no can defend. <laughs> I was stuck. So you know what I did with the next two days? I played Mario Kart with my kids. Double Dash, GameCube version, because daddy don't mess around. I can dominate still at that level. 
Someone asked me first service, did you let him win? No. Why would I do that? You know, participation trophies for playing with daddy. My presence is the present. <laughs> Actually, they can hang, they can play. This is pretty fun. I'm making light, but I want you to just hear my truth, right? What are the areas right now where you know Maybe it's coming out of this message. Maybe it's coming out of the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe it's coming from the words of Jesus. Maybe it's coming, something you've known since you were a kid. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I don't have to tell you what it is because it's there and you know, and you've known for a long time. This is an area where you got to get past, I know what to do and start doing it and activating it. Where's that at for you right now? Is it going the extra mile versus doing the minimum? so easy to do. It's a wide, wide road to do the minimum. Is it holding an offense versus turning the other cheek? How about this one? Is it living like now is the main thing? Like now is everything? The impact into eternity isn't as important to you? God wanted to change our perspective. I feel like this whole weekend has just been about that stuff that's in your heart that you know. And it's there. Some of you have been wrestling with it for a long time. And here's the thing. The reason you haven't done it is because this road's easier. It's easier to just turn on ESPN and play with my kids. Just telling you, it's easier. I'm tired. It's easier. But there's a road over here. And it may take a little more work. You may have to get up a little earlier. You may have to get control of your finances and take a risk there. You may have to, I'm not sure what it is. You may have to do something. It may require some behavioral changes. And Jesus says, that's the thing because this road is for blockheads who know and don't do it. And it's easy, but there's something more for you. Not only is there something more for you, but the storms are coming. And if you're not in a storm right now, here's the only thing I can promise you. They're coming. The end result of that storm is not predetermined. It's up to you. You get to partner with your life and with the gospel to activate the promises of God in your life by living them out and exercising your faith. It's a participatory faith that we have. Paul says like this, you run the race, right? We get to run the race. It's your race. I want that for you. I need that for you. Otherwise, you'll be a hot mess in my office, right? I want the foundation to be, hey, I'm living these principles of God and it's working on me and I'm also wrestling. That's a much, I can do that conversation with you. The hard conversation is my whole world exploded. Oh, and I'm completely in rebellion to everything I know, the word of God. I'm like, okay, well, that's a sandcastle and the tide came in. That's what just happened to your life. Jesus was pretty clear. That's how that looks. He didn't want that for you. I don't want that for you. So what is it? Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that you care enough to be strong enough with us to say, you have so much value and I care so much about your life that I want a foundation for you that's firm, that's strong. And it happens when you activate these words of mine in your life, when your behavior begins to model those things and, and, and you don't earn your salvation, that's not the thing, but you work on the foundation of your life so that the storms cannot topple your house. 
That's the promise you have for us. So God, I pray for those of us in the room right now who clearly know what we should do and haven't done it. I pray that our hearts would be soft if someone nudges us and gives us a little, hey, here's some things you should, you should probably see. Why? Because we want that for each other. You wanted it for us. God, I pray for small groups this week that are gonna get together, life communities, and talk about stuff that are gonna squeeze on truth. And I pray that stuff would get serviced, surfaced and real life change would happen. I pray for the hope that comes from your word because it's not hopeless. It's filled with hope and it anchors our soul in every storm. I pray that hope would flood our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And God, I pray for those of us in the room that maybe for a long time, we've just been taking the wide road. We've just been mailing it in. We, we're not even sure what we believe or if we care. We're just here to keep somebody else happy and we're just trying to, and you're saying, man, there's something more for your life. Would you draw, your word says, if you're lifted up, you'll draw all men. As we lift you up, would you draw hearts and minds to you? Would you give us the courage to step off the wide road into the more difficult road to get our questions answered, to get plugged in, to get involved, and God, to go on this journey with you because of what is available is so much greater. We love you, we thank you, and we choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, go be anything but average this week, huh?